Sauce is brought to you by Mike's BBQ Rub. Visit mikesbbqrubmtl.com and use Hot Sauce 10 for 10% off the entire site. Uh, this is a heavily packed Greek show, so I don't know if you can use any, uh, if they can make a tzatziki sauce one time for, for us, but uh, I'm sure if they did, it would be amazing. Everything that Mike's BBQ Rub MTL.com does, uh, they do it perfectly. That mustard truffle sauce is the best thing I've ever had in my life. I say it every episode. It's the best thing I've ever had in my life. The rub is honestly one of the best rubs I've ever had. Uh, it's the whole website, everything they offer is pretty sick. And just highlights it with the mustard truffle sauce. So visit Mike's BBQ Rub MTL.com and use Hot Sauce 10 for 10% off. This is part two of an episode you guys probably never heard before. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we had uh, author George Sisonis on of Achieving the Impossible, uh, the story of the, of the Greek uh, soccer team winning the Euro 2004. And uh, for me, growing up, uh, Greek kid in Montreal, you know, it was a, it was a huge, it was a huge stepping stone to, to finally being a soccer fan and seeing your team finally, your country finally, you know, put a stamp on the international level. And uh, we're pleased to have George on. Uh, Alex, I'll start with you. Alex, how's it going, buddy? Doing good, man. Now that you spoke about fucking Greek food, oh my god. Are you hungry? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I miss some good souvlaki from Montreal, bro. We have some good spots here. George Sitsonis is back again. Sorry about this again. I know you're 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 a gentleman and a scholar for for coming on a second time. My pleasure, guys. Thank you again for having me. You know, so appreciate it's our pleasure, it. man. So tell us about the the journey getting into this book. I mean, you told us last time that you weren't an author. You just you're a freelance writer, so you just wanted to get into it and tell me what made you want to start doing it. I mean, I think every Greek person in the world wanted to write this, but you <laughs> came out you came out with this book, and this honestly, it's a very good book. It's you you can go through it pretty quickly, and it's honestly it's very detailed. What drove you to create this masterpiece, I'll say? I'm sure if there was a few other Greeks that actually put the time into it, probably would have come out even better. So, um, <laughs> but you're stuck with me now and in uh, this book. But yeah. Um, no, you know, uh, a few years ago, I've been a freelance writer for about 20 years or so, um, you know, heavily covered the Greek game for the most part, but also like kind of the the travails of some of the smaller nations around the globe. It's always been kind of my interest. So um, and as Greek football, we've always been kind of like the minnows in international soccer as far as the national team goes. So, um, you know, when we stepped up uh, um, and kind of the world heard us back in 2004, um, you know, I thought that there was definitely a story worth telling. And a few years ago when I had kind of just randomly kind of one uh one summer day got into like wanting to just look up some stuff about the tournament and about greece and i was just really struck by the fact that there was such little english language coverage um in the euro 2004 itself as well as greece's victory so um you know i started uh, kind of just putting putting a few things together on paper as far as you know what i remembered about the tournament and just reading a few greek sources and realized you know one thing leading to another i had a few notes to go with and i was like you know what let's 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 try let's try this out. So I, you know, I was like, you know, I'll do one chapter and see what happens. And one thing led to another, and you know, voila, I guess, uh, you know, I'll put a book together. So, have you written anything else? Um, you know, just just always articles, freelance writing. You know, for some Greek sites, Greek uh, Greek uh, English language Greek sites. Um, Awana Sport was one that we had started a few years ago. That was 
that was pretty popular, as well as just, you know, for 442 in England, um, pretty popular um, football magazine, soccer magazine, um, done some work with them, a couple of FIFA publications, um, flew out to Los Angeles once to interview Jurgen Klinsmann, so that was kind of cool, but again, you know, pretty, pretty, um, you know, uh, a lot of experience writing, but not necessarily any sort of big name uh, writer or anything like that, um, yeah. so, you know, um, but yeah, something I kind of, I'd, I've been always wanting to do a little bit bigger project like this, you know, uh, more than just, you know, the article here and there. And I thought, you know, this would be a topic that, that would be good for it. So, Absolutely. I mean, this is, it's a topic that I think if you're a soccer fan, you know the story and you're, and you're confused by the story. I think if you're, if you're a purist soccer fan, you're confused by the, what the hell happened that year? You know, <laughs> how did this happen? And when we spoke last time, we had, I had just gotten to the point where they had made it through to the, the elimination round. And then having read that, that's another book in itself. I mean, just those three games. And we can talk about the game that uh, I know Alex had an impact with this coming, his father being from Russia, is that one goal that allowed them to get through to that game. Right, Alex? Yeah, so that game, I remember uh, perfectly. So I was on the couch. My dad was on the couch. The, the game started. Then Russia came in and scored those two goals. My dad was going crazy. He's like, wow. Like, even though we're eliminated already technically, um, we he, he, he celebrated. He uh, he liked the performance. And then, but yeah, it was overall a really great game. And uh, I enjoyed it. I was, uh, I believe, 11 years old back then. So... And in, in the book, uh, George, you talk about that Russia team too and how good they were, but they just had, you know, some some internal beefs that kind of just didn't didn't allow them to kind of push through and they were trying to play spoiler to Greece that, that year, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and Russia, even in the first two games they lost, played it pretty tight. Um, you know, they did not lose by, by much. Um, just, you know, they were missing a few bounces here and there and they did have some internal uh, turmoil um you know within the squad that definitely kind of contributed to their early elimination but against Greece they were fantastic and it just as easily could have been three or four nil in the first half I mean they had just they, they came out all guns blazing and Greece had no answer they were just kind of out of sorts really for one of the only times in that tournament um you know they, that they looked like that but you know Russia punished them and like you brought up you know a huge goal by Vrizas um you know just before the half and then, but even late on, you know, Russia, I remember had this huge chance with Kirichenko sliding across the face of goal. I mean, he literally misses the ball by inches and that would have been enough to put Greece out. Um, but that miss, you know, along with Vrizis' goal combined to kind of push Greece through um, to the knockout stage. And, you know, as we say after that, the rest is kind of history, um, yeah. you know, as far as what happened. Uh, <laughs> and in a nutshell, that miss kind of describes Greece's tournament. I mean, or Greece's... Uh, a road to the tournament, you know what I mean? Where they're always just, there's something there that might just kick them out. And there's so many details in this book that I can't even start to go through um, that tell you all these things that I had no idea. I mean, the whole process of them uh, just with Otto um, being chosen, but not kind of like on a very short leash. And then he's just telling everybody, listen, like, oh, fuck yourself. I'm going to run this team the way I want to run it. I have a, a good... Uh, uh, relationship with EPO and 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 Nagagatsi. So I'm like, why would I listen to the media? And I love the way he spoke to the media. But what was the media's impact on his tenure and the Greek team that year? Or what could it? What I'm saying. What? 
how, how close were they to having a negative impact? Well, I mean, it's a great point. And one that's really kind of repeated itself over the course of Greek football history, especially concerning the national team. Yeah. And the media played its role in nearly getting Rahagel out because the pressure on him after the first two qualifiers that Greece loses um, uh, in, Euro, in the Euro 2004 qualification to Spain and Ukraine was immense. I mean, he was literally with one foot out the door. Um, that's just like from the media side. Gagatsis, like you mentioned, was really, really loyal to Rahagel. Um, but even Rahagel was starting to feel the pressure as Greece, you know, um, there was a little bit of kind of unsure footing about halfway through those, those qualifiers. Um, but what the point you bring up is really interesting because the, um, this is something that was really rare in Greek soccer history, especially with a national team, to have the coach, the players, and the federation kind of be all on the same side. Usually we're seeing if not all three fighting against each other, we're seeing at least two out of the three, you know, not, um, not working out. So, you know, this was this unique situation where all three kind of decided, listen, we're going to kind of, we're going to, we're going to do it. We're going to kind of stay united through whatever turmoil, through whatever kind of stuff we're going through and see what happens. And, and, you know, the, the result was this amazing success. Now it took a lot to get there and it, it took a lot of, you know, great performances on the field and Rahagil, you know, to kind of play his role as a supreme tactician and, and just overall great manager. But yeah, that those three sides kind of working together in unison, you know, helped deliver this. I agree. Yeah. 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 I've noticed uh, the media really didn't like you guys and they were even, they were even calling guys uh, boring tactics. Yeah. That's what they were saying. Uh, in the lines. <laughs> exactly. But <laughs> whatever helps you, <laughs> to win, just fucking use it. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure they sleep like babies, knowing that. All of them, every single one of them. Yeah, I guess they were just jealous. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, but I'll, I'll, I'll use yeah. a more, uh, to your point, Alex, I'll use a more, uh, a term to this day. I don't know if you're a golf fan, George, but Bryson DeChambeau, <laughs> Bryson DeChambeau, he's, he's a long, he's a good golfer, but his, the thing that he does well is he hits the ball like 400 yards. And yeah. not every golfer can do that. And it's very rare that golfers can do that. And on top of that, have a good approach game and a good putting game as well. And so for mm -hmm. him to, he, people say like, oh, he's ruining golf. He's not ruining golf. He's just showing you a different aspect of this game that might be useful. And I think that that's what people hated about Greece is this kind of the same thing. It's like, okay, they're just parking the bus. They're playing defensively. Where in your book, you highlight how bad defensively they were going into the tournament, how they struggled, oh, yeah. and a guy like Delas really brought it together. Yeah, without a doubt. And, um, you know, you, you talk about um, the individual you mentioned's golf game, but, like, Rahagil was that type of manager as well. You know, he was diverse. He was not he was not known as a defensive guy. He was actually known as a guy that built really aesthetically pleasing teams, teams that could play good offensive football. So um, but he was also a realist. He was also a pragmatist. So um, in a little bit in the book, I talk I talk with Yanis Topolidis, his assistant, who they had a great working relationship together. And he was also of that same kind of frame of mind. And he's like, if we go out and try to play against teams like Spain, like France, like Portugal, like the elite of Europe, and kind of just try to go toe-to-toe -to -toe and play open, he's like, we're going to get destroyed. You know, it's not the way we can approach these matches in order to have a chance to win them. So what are we going to do? We're going to create a framework from which we can kind of build off of. And that framework was going to be a strong defense. Um, you know, and, and everything worked from there. And Greece did have some good technical players that were able to kind of push the ball forward. So 
Um, and getting back to your point about, you know, the media and how they interpreted this victory, um, you know, that was one of the driving reasons why I wanted to kind of write the book as well, because I thought <laughs> that this team, this kind of, you know, um, that came out of nowhere to win a tournament and it just, you know, people just kind of started to crap on them as far as like the style they played. I thought that was, that was, that was too simplistic of a view. We needed to have something a little bit more nuanced. And if you watch some of the matches and if you really watch kind of how this team was built and the process they went through, I think you'll see that it wasn't, wasn't just Greece putting 11 guys in front of the goal. It was, it was a lot more, a lot more went into it. And if you watch these matches and their performances, you'll see that when they got the ball, they were quick, man. They, they played on the counter, like lightning fast. If you look at their second goal against Portugal in that first game, there's two or three passes unleashed Saitaridis, who was fouled by Cristiano Ronaldo in the box, you know, to get to get that penalty. So, you know, too too simplistic, I think, if you if you're talking about, you know, being, you know, just playing negative football and this and that. There were certainly times where they kind of bunkered in and, you know, for 10 or 15 minutes tried to, you know, clear France from from scoring or Spain or teams like that. But no, it's too it's too simple to say that they only played deep. Read they they were great at playing defense. I think that's that's the, that's the thing. <laughs> and and uh, and I've and, and you've spoken about those eleven players and how important of a teamwork it was. So, uh, so me myself, I know a couple famous ones. I know Karasteas. I know I know Karagunis. Mm -hmm. Which player was the the standout player? The player that that actually helped Greece to rally to each other and, you know, push for those wins, which one player would you say? Yeah. I love that question. Um, for me, if I look at this team and I look at the whole thing, now having written the book, there's two things that stick two players that stick out to me. And they're both for kind of symbolic reasons. One on the pitch, Zagorakis, who is, you know, he's, he was, he was considered like when he was playing in England for Leicester, they were also like kind of simple in how they described it. They're like, he's just an up and downer. He just runs up the field and down the field and back and forth. Doesn't do much. But in this tournament, he showed that he was much more than that. He showed that he was a calming influence when he received the ball at his feet in order to hold possession. He showed an ability to break up um, offensive moves from the opposition. You know, he was always in the right place at the right time. And he showed just that little bit of flair. There's an instance um, for uh, against France, where he skips past uh, Vicente Lizarazu, who was one of the best, you know, fullbacks in the world at that time, at that time yeah. and and just serves in a, a delightful ball to Caristeas for the goal. And I think I mentioned it before talking to you guys. You know, if 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 that goal was scored by a Brazilian or a Spaniard or an Argentinian, I mean, that was a goal that you know we'd be playing, we'd see played over <laughs> and over again. You know, on intros to any sort of soccer program or, or whatever. Um, you know, so for me somebody like that typified that team, you know, they're kind of unknown, kind of not really sure what you're going to get uh, when you're watching them for most people, but man, he, he, he kind of held things together in the midfield and was just fantastic in every game and just could really be counted on as the captain and leader of that team. Zagorakis, the other guy, sorry, go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. I, well, just to jump on your Zagorakis point is that he, he was that calming factor. And I, and like I said, I was an, I'm an Olympiaco fan through and through, you know, my grandfather was a Panathinaikos fan. My father switched me, my brother, and my cousin to being Olympiacos <laughs> fans, and and we. I didn't really know who Zagaraki was. I didn't really know who a lot of these players were. You know, I mean, I mentioned it last time we spoke, where my one of my favorite players was playing for Olympiacos at the time. He got injured before, couldn't make the team, and that's Patsadzoglu. I loved him. I met him actually. He's a super nice guy, and uh, 
and when I hear names like Zagoraki and Katsurani had played for Ayak at that time, I'm like, okay, so Ayak was in kind of like in a turmoil situation, and you highlight that in the book as well. You talk about how they had their, their issues with their leadership and things like that, and I didn't really hear about all these guys. I never heard about Otto Rehagel either because he predominantly stayed in Germany, but as soon as they touched the field, you saw that there was some sort of cohesion. It, it was weird. It was like as soon as we started watching them play, it was – you kind of saw like, okay, they're good. Like they're a good group of players, not necessarily one individual, right? Yeah, certainly. And I think, you know, Karagunis, who I was um, fortunate enough to speak to, um, you know, he did highlight the individual quality of the players as well. You know, he's like, you know, the unity and the the coming together and the ability to work for one another on the field, that was, that was a huge part of it. But we were good players as well. Some of the players kind of flew under the radar, you know, like, like you said, Zagorakis, even during the qualifiers, he didn't start every match. He didn't always play the full 90. If you look at the starting 11, um, you know, in the final qualifier against Northern Ireland, that quench qualification for Euro 2004, you'll see that not a lot of those guys, not a lot, but like there's a few of those guys that aren't exactly in playing a huge role at Euro 2004. For instance, Karagounis does not start that game, you know? Yeah. So, so that's a good point. which brings me to back to like the second player that I think is kind of symbolic is the business. Nikos the business, who was one of the better known players at that time period. He, he suffers an injury on the eve of the tournament. Um, you know, and this is a guy that's had been through it all with a national team started for a decade, pretty much whenever he was fit uh, was always one of the first names on the team sheet. He is now, he now has to sit, you know? So um, he, has to, starts, he has to understand his role. Exactly. And he does. He gets fit. He's ready to play. But Veles and Capsis are playing so well at the center of that defense that Rahagel sticks with them, you know. And the business was like, you know, we had to put the eye above, I mean, the, the them above the eye, the us above the eye, as far as like, you know, he's like, but we all lived every moment of that game on the bench. He's like, we were, we were, we were united. He's like, I can't stress to you enough that word. We were, we were just like a band of brothers that, you know, were, were, focused on supporting each other and fighting it for each other whenever we needed to. So, and Alex, so for I mean, me, the business, two guys that really uh, helped that team immensely. Davizas at that time was top five Greek player in the world. You know what I mean? And I think, oh, yeah. and we didn't Certainly. even have one of the top five players in the world. And, 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 and Zikos, and it was, it was more of when I looked at the roster, I'm like, man, Nikolaidis coming off the bench. Sata's coming off the bench. And it was like, mm-hmm. what's going on here? Nikolaidis at the time, you know, he had an Ayak tattoo, you know, and you knew he was going to be like growing up. Like he put that tattoo on him because he's like, that's the only team I'm ever going to play for. And right. I mean, it, it just, it shows how they can all work together. And if anybody follows Greek soccer, it's, you know, that if you wear yellow, red or black or green, you don't like the other color. It's just, it is what it is. And I think you highlighted that too, when it came to the turmoil between Tsatas and Nikolaidis, when it came to where they were within the Ayak organization, how Tatas didn't like what Nikolaidis was doing with the players and, and things like that, where Nikolaidis was like, listen, we're going to change the, the, the mentality. And the fact that they, Ray Hagel was able to bring those two together, it shows the leadership that he had. One of my favorite players in the tournament, I mean, we have to talk about him is Sitaridis. Sitaridis was, he won, he was uh, one of the best backs of the tournament that year. He made it. He, I think he made the first team. I think he did at the end of the tournament. I think he was player of the tournament when he came to the defenseman. And he was a guy that changed the game every time he touched the ball. 
what I did like what he did was he showcased guys that we never really heard of before. We knew who Nicolaidi and Satas were. You know what I mean? We knew who they were. But we showcased guys like Seteridis. Seteridis was a guy to me that dominated. He won. Didn't he win uh, defenseman of the, of the tournament? Or he, was, like he was in the top 11, yeah. The, top the 11. best 11 of the year, yeah. And he yeah. was a great player. You know, his career kind of faltered a little bit later on because of injury and things like that. But he was a guy who changed the dynamic of the entire offense, playing defensively. Yeah, without a doubt. And that was, I think, Rahigel's golden touch was not just, um, you know, the ability to kind of get all these players on board, but it was to see where all these pieces of the puzzle could fit and how he could use them. So um, he took guys that he he saw Saitaridis um, as a U21 player and just saw what he could be. And, and over the course of those couple years of qualification, you know, Saitaridis you know, Rahagil, uh, this was a player he had seen for um, a couple years and he, he trusted him, you know, and, and his performances grew and grew through that trust. And during Euro 2004, I mean, he was just an immense part of Greece's attack, you know, just uh, obviously he was a good defender. But on that right side, I mean, he tore it up back and forth constantly, gave them a, a different dimension to in every match, um, you know, but he also signed these guys the individual and how they could fit into his tactics. You know, he saw the tactics and how he could fit them with the individual. So Saitaridis, for instance, is put on Henri against um, France to man mark him, you know, because, and, and these, these, these players, they felt so much trust and so much confidence that, you know, they were able to pull these jobs off, you know, and that is a testament to kind of Rahagel's coaching ability and to see just how all these pieces of the puzzle could fit together and how he could find success. And to Alex's point before, he talked about the unsung heroes and the guys that you would you would you would you would root for. I mean, we always look for the one guy, and we speak we could speak about cohesion forever. But the one thing that I noticed, and Alex alluded to it last time, was the the game against France, where as soon as Zidane touched the ball, he had two guys on him immediately. He touched the ball; those two guys ran away. Uh, they came to him. He got rid of it. They ran away. And I think that that piece was huge and sh- shutting down probably at that point was one of the best players in the world. Yeah. And this was, this was Rahagil's way of being able to kind of nullify some of these absolute, you know, world-class stars that Greece was coming up against. You know, we, we did not have household names. We did not have, you know, these, these players that had proven so much maybe on the international stage, but Rahagil saw in these players, he saw a lot of promise. He saw a lot of potential as a unit, you know, and he was able to kind of find their individual strengths and put them together against even guys like Zidane, you know, um, who could do anything with the ball, who would normally, you know, other years would maybe pick Greece apart, you know, those types of players. But but Rahagel saw ways in which he could kind of, you know, um, you know, cut out that threat and, and get Greece forward to, to score a goal, usually on a set piece or, um, you know, but, you know, uh, but yeah, that was that was kind of the magic. He's, he he knew how to read these games, um, and it was just an amazing kind of example of, of coaching at the highest level. And um, so, so you highlighted how amazing defensive efforts you guys had to go through to win the World Cup. I mean, not a World Cup, the Euros. Yeah. Hopefully, man. I like your optimism. Optimism. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my mistake, there. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, the the, the Euros. Uh, that same year, uh, Porto won uh, the Champions League. Uh, and also not to discredit the run, the uh, the runners up team which was Monaco 
who had who had the player that I mentioned before that was left off the roster was probably the best Greek player at that time on paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, Monaco was also a I believe if if a, a good story because they were really underdogs as well. Yeah, that year. So, so, so yeah, 2004 was a really crazy year when it came to that and Jose Mourinho's tactics and I'd say maybe Greeks' tactics kind of resembled. Uh, do you do you think the fact that Porto won that a couple months before the Euro really pushed Greece to believe that they could win the Euros? I think, you know, there was obviously a foundation in place, you know, with Rahagil and the team that, you know, they had belief going into that tournament to do something special. I don't think necessarily they might have had winning it at the top of their list of, of goals, but um, I think there was probably, you're right, there was probably something in the air in those few weeks, you know, in, the, in, those, in that month or two, because when you see a team like that, uh, like that Porto side that you said, um, it really come out of nowhere. You know, I remember, I didn't even know who Jose Mourinho was. Um, you know, I remember him streaking down the field uh, against Manchester <laughs> United earlier in that competition and being like, who is this guy, you know, back then? And, you know, I had not followed the Portuguese league probably as closely as I should have. And then all of a sudden we see him doing crazy things and winning the tournament, you know, and all of a sudden we're like, yeah, Jose Mourinho. Okay. He's, you know, now new Chelsea manager, you know? So, um, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, when you see something like that, it, it can only help push you in that direction of like, you know what, maybe we can do something here, you know, maybe we can get to the next round or whatever. And that, which was Greece's goal, I think, um, heading into that tournament, um, you know, at one probably game the at most, a time. yeah, one game at a time, certainly, um, you know, but yeah, then, you know, I think momentum is such a huge part of competitions like that, you know, you start to go through and all of a sudden the belief starts to set in that like, wait, wait, maybe it could be us, you know, as crazy as if you said it before the tournament started, you might sound crazy you know who's gonna bet on one odds momentum is such a key uh plays such a key role that um you know you win a match or two and all of a sudden you're in the next round and all of a sudden you look like a team that's to be reckoned with and i think you know that's what happened with greece that momentum kind of carried through and certainly you know it probably helped that that porto had done something similar a couple months before that yeah it's true i mean there's so many and, and we will talk about we can talk about the future after the year 2004 and then and what they did and 2014 in the world cup losing to costa rica in the quarter in the in the in the sweet 16 um and this will bring it into where alex's knowledge comes in and, the, and some of the players that they started becoming household names we started hearing the names of Samaras, like Alex knows, you know, we started hearing other names. Caristea became a household name. Caragunis was this weird guy, crazy, kind of reminded you of Gattuso. So people, so he got signed an Inter, you know. So that's what that's what it became. Is and Nicopolidis was getting, even though he was the backup at Panathinaikos at the same time, he was a starter for Greece because he was so reliable, and he became a, a world-renowned, good-looking guy, silver hair, you know. And I think that's what it, it brought us to that point. And now we're kind of in this weird rebuild phase and we had somewhat success and we had climbed the ranks. I think we were seventh, eighth or ninth around. I think that's the highest we've ever been, right? Yeah. We were, we were top 10 for, for quite a few years there. Um, you know, or hovering around at least. Um, I remember when they were 11, I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Certainly. Certainly. Go. Um, yeah, what you talk about is, is something I kind of referred to in the book a little bit. For me, is a kind of an interesting point that Nicolaidis made um, once when he was talking about the team. He said, "We want to have the, uh, we want to reach the point where we have a varia fanella, like a heavy shirt. We want to get to the point where our name means something in international soccer. You know, where we have a legacy." 
And I think what we saw from that Greek team was over the course of a decade or so from the pre Euro 2004 period to the 2014 World Cup, you know, we, we, we were able to kind of acquire that. We were able to, to be a team now that was to be reckoned with, to be a team that was something, somebody, some, a side to respect. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that that means a lot. And I think that, like you said, with the players, that held true as well on an individual level. Europeans saw now these Greek players as something different than just like, who's Greece? You know, we all of a sudden, we saw some of these performances at Euro 2004, and immediately the respect level goes up you know, with, with some of these guys and just the Greek player in general, you know, just kind of the average Greek player in general. Yeah. And, you know, I think that has a huge kind of impact in, you know, deciding whether, you know, certain players will play more at sides or not, or who ends up, you know, if, if it's a market that a country will look to, to buy um, players from, you know, so I think all that meant a lot during that time period, really the golden age of Greek soccer for Euro 2004 and, you know, the 2014 World Cup, I mean, we'd, we'd never had it better than that as Greek football fans. That was undoubtedly the golden age uh, as far as, as Greek soccer, as far as Greek football goes. So I, I've um, – my friend who's a uh, – he, he's Lebanese, but he's actually from Ivory – well, Ivory Lebanese Coast. born in Ivory Coast. Uh, me and him, we were at the same spot where we were at the bar. We were watching uh, – uh, Ivory Coast versus Greece back in 2014 and then Samaras uh, got a shady well I call it shady uh, penalty and um, <laughs> me and George aren't going to call it shady no comment well my friend, no comment. <laughs> well, my fr- well my friend next to me who I went with he, he stood up and said fucking Malacca and then he was so fucking mad, and that's how Greece won. And he was mad for the rest of the fucking day. It was, you know, Samaras is he was a man for the big moment, you know, and like love him or hate him, like he came up for Greece for the national team, you know, he came up big at, at key times, you know, and his club career was a mixed bag, you know, he had some amazing times at Celtic, um, you know, but for Greece. You know, there was times where we wouldn't see him do anything for 70 or 80 minutes and what up pop Samaras, you know, with uh, with an amazing assist or goal or something that, you know, would help a rookie qualifier or, you know, in a moment like that, give us one of our biggest moments in in, uh, in history. But, um, yeah, I know I can see how some people uh, got upset about that, but um, I can tell you, we, we might have been repeating the same things, but in a more positive way uh, when we were cheering. After. Uh, I mean... <laughs> I, I could, uh, George, if you want to do this again, we can talk about post Euro 2004. And I have so many questions. Oh. We could talk about the, the Euro. We could talk about the World Cups with the qualifications, things like that. I have so many questions because that's when I was 18 when they won. So that's when I really started getting into Greek soccer. And there's so many players mm-hmm. like, I mean, I could start mentioning that um, Machlas being left off the roster too while him retiring. I mean, that was, that was another thing too. We could talk about that another time. But, George, yeah. I appreciate you coming on, man. The book is called Achieving the Impossible The Remarkable Story of. Greece's Euro 2004 victory. It's a great book. Honestly, if you're a soccer fan or Greek, you've never watched soccer before, watch this. You'll get a sense of Greek pride for sure, like I did. It, honestly, it, it brought it back a bit. I mean, we lost it a bit with uh, the last the last uh, few years with uh, no success, but reading this book really was nostalgic for me, and I really enjoyed it. It was a good time. 
and it's also a great Christmas present uh, if you want to give it give it to any Greek person you know or, or soccer any, fan so, or soccer fan in general. So yeah, it's a perfect book, and, uh, th and thank you so much, George. Yeah, man, it was a uh, pleasure. Alex, thank you guys. I really appreciate it. it was my the pleasure was all mine, and you know, love love having a chat and uh, appreciate it. You can find this on Amazon, right? We'll we'll post it. Yes, you can right. find it on Amazon. Amazon, and if yeah. you're in Canada, chapters in the Yes, absolutely. Good. Again, George, I appreciate it. This episode was brought to you by Mike's BBQ Rub. Visit Mike's BBQ Rub MTL.com. Uh, use Hot Sauce 10 for 10% off the entire site. And don't forget to rub your meat. George, again, I appreciate it, buddy. We'll do this again. I'll, I can talk to you about soccer for hours. I think, uh, Same here. Same yeah. here. No, I appreciate it. And if there's anything else you need, please let me know. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Alex, again, I appreciate it, buddy. Have a good one. Peace. Thanks a lot.